I don't think we talk about this too much either, but there, the three-line poem in the punctuation sets off something visually to the reader that I think creates these moments within the poem, right? Well, hello, and welcome to episode eight of the fifth series of the Haiku P podcast. I'm Patricia, and this week I'll be joined by Jason Furtak, Steve Allen, Mark Scott, Richard Matter, who suggested the topic of punctuation, and Alison Whipple, who gave us a much-lauded presentation on the topic. They'll be your community judges for this reading of original haiku and senryu with punctuation. Of course, we'll also find out who Linda Ludwig chose for the winners of the Haiku P prompt for March. Thanks, Linda. You work very hard on making sure all the poems are read. I really appreciate your work, and I know our poetry friends do too. April's prompt has been up for 18 days. Have you taken part yet? You'll find it on the YouTube channel. Please leave your poems in the comments section for a chance to be featured here on the podcast, and of course, in the Poetry P Journal. Have you signed up for the YouTube channel? There are so many free resources on there now, I'd hate for you to miss out. Which reminds me, Deborah Pekalogy's workshop is on there. And you'll need to have listened to it or watched it for next month's topic, Sci-Fi Coup. Just a quick reminder to use the right emails for your submissions so that they get seen and any submission of less than four poems will be rejected. A big thank you to my editing team for punctuation. Vandana Parashar, Lorraine Padden, Ron Craig and Robert Horobin. You know, we had so many poems to read this month and I think they've done a cracking job. Thank you, team. Where would I be without you? Well, for one thing, we wouldn't have this podcast. And now if you've sent me some high bun, Shane and I will be making the decisions and replying this month. So if you haven't heard by the end of the month, that's April, do let me know. Because sometimes things just get lost in the ether. And it's better to ask, isn't it? Another quick reminder that the Poetry P Readings podcast will have another episode at the end of the month. It's something a little different this time, with lots of voices. See you on the last Wednesday of the month. And if you need a reminder, do sign up for the mailing on the website. So, again, you won't miss out on anything. This month... I want to start with an apology. I get really cross with myself when I miss reading a piece of work that I've promised to read. And last month, on our Colour podcast, I missed reading you this little gem from Mariangela Angela Kanzi. Mariangela, please forgive me. I hope this makes up a little bit for my ineptitude. The old pipe on a yellow chair, I think of Van Gogh. The old pipe on a yellow chair, I think, of Van Gogh. Mariangela Kanzi. So now who are Linda's picks for the month of March? Let's find out. Winter frost spreads its stillness to her heart. C.X. Turner Frost Night Drizzling more rum on the raisin bread. Christina Chin.
cold front, the rewound clock speaks in broken English. Rob Kingston A blend of Sajiki, renewed inspiration for all seasons. Paul Callas Faded green, the ancient feather in Grandma's hat. Marilyn Ward I'd just like to add one more, and I think you should go and have a look at it on the show notes, along with all the others this month, because of course we're featuring punctuation. But this particular one has a very clever play on words, a word I'd never seen before, which is why I wanted to bring it to your attention. And it's by Herb Tate. Ice limbs. Seeing the wood in the trees. Now, like I said, you need to have a look at this to get what I'm talking about. But the word was limbs. I'd never heard it before. And it actually means to suffuse or highlight something with a bright colour or light. Great word, isn't it? Now, let's open our punctuation originals with the first of our judges' choices from Richard Matter. Richard, welcome to the podcast. I believe you are joining us from your home in California. That's right, San Diego. Oh, very nice. And we had a chat off microphone and uh, you were tormenting me with your weather. Thank you very much. Yeah, my air conditioning on last night because it hit 76 yesterday. Okay, let's move swiftly on in that case. Um, Richard, it was your idea to do a podcast on punctuation. Tell me, why did you want us to cover this topic? Well, I'm really intrigued with how little punctuation is used in modern haiku. Uh, As a matter of fact, about a year and a half ago, I examined about 1,200 published haiku that were mostly in anthologies and journals. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was that dashes were only used about 15% 15% of the time, so maybe you're around one in six, one in seven times, okay. and ellipsis about half that. The commas about one in 50 times, and rarely did I see other punctuation. So I realized, you know, being a poet, that it's, it's very hard to effectively use punctuation in just three lines, eight, eight to 14 syllables, and not slow it down, not detract from the aha moment. Mm-hmm. But I also know that at times you can elevate haiku with emphasis and clarity and poeticism. So I'd say a personal goal of mine is to figure out, you know, where can I use high, punctuation with intent, um, knowing that it's quite possible that I'm filtering out what I say and how I say it with, with perceptions, conscious or not, of, of what haiku should look like based on what I'm seeing published. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very interesting topic and um, Alison's presentation has gone down a storm. Thank you, Alison. I don't think we'd be finished with it yet. I think uh, we can explore more of that. And I think we'll do that next year too. So thank you very much for bringing it to our attention. Richard, what poem did you choose and why? Well, I selected Minal Sirocha's Abacus. And it goes like this. Abacus, he counts Jupiter's moons again and again. Abacus, he counts Jupiter's moons again and again. I selected this poem because it transports me from one sense to another, one interpretation to another. 
The subtle repetition of ending S's, abacus, Jupiter's, moons, and beginning A's, abacus, again, again, is hardly noticeable, but it increases the poetic quality of the poem. The poem draws me back again for another reading, to wonder and to wander. The poet begins with abacus. I know this word. As a matter of fact, I used it in a word game last year. The abacus, by the way, is a counting instrument for teaching arithmetic to children and to serve as a calculation tool. Used since ancient times, the components are a frame, wiring, and beads. So my mind wants to kick in, recall an image of the abacus. The poet stops me from engaging my mind with three colons, serving as a symbol for an abacus, a shortcut. Now I say to myself, what's coming that's related to the abacus? He counts Jupiter's moons. So I see a parent or a child or teacher with a child, the child counting Jupiter's moons, all 79 of them by last count. I can see the beads, watch the starting motion, hear the clicking of bead to bead or bead to frame. Maybe even the names of moons such as Ganymede, Callisto, Lo, Europa are mentioned. The person counting repeats the process again and again, maybe to get the count right, or maybe as kids do, just because. Perhaps the poet is simply watching this, maybe providing feedback or just floating in his or her own thoughts to the sounds of the beads, the counting, whatever those beads might represent to the poet. Or maybe it's an adult using the beads as a form of meditation, almost like a prayer bead, or someone imagining being somewhere else in a trance of sorts. It's a good job, a memorable poem and very well done. Yes, it is. I'm so glad you pointed out the, um, the sensory element of the, of the poet, poem, Richard. But I was, I was intrigued. You speak as if you didn't have an abacus as a child. Um, well, I'm, I'm always fascinated by my toys. <laughs> And really, I sometimes like in a in a bookstore, I'll go into the, the kids area where they have all those toys and just kind of mess around with those or read kids books um, in the same thing in libraries. But so I guess I'm still a kid at heart. But my father actually made an abacus for me in some kind of a like a I don't know if it, it might have been a woodworking course that he took when I was a kid. But um, but I, I don't think he ever explained how to use it. But fortunately, my my mother had been a teacher and my, you know, my grandfather was a, an engineer and my uncle was an engineer. So I had, I had a lot of guidance in the math area. Oh, okay. I just, I, I can, I remember having one as a child and I know my children had them with, they, I can see it now sort of uh, the greens and the blues and the yellows of the beads. And I can, like you mentioned, I could hear them clicking, clicking all the time with, with the, the beads. It's a great poem. Great choice. Thank you very much, Richard. <laughs> Thank you. Moonlight splattering. The black and white of raccoons on the road. Kathleen Tice. Harvest moon. Before the lotus seat, donation boxes. Anna Yin. In the space beyond, pine trees, stars, and half a moon. Erica E. Benson
as if the moon lengthens it, a long coo of a gull. Ram Chandran Drought moon, just the empty wind from the silos. Mona Bedi Dark moon, a scorpion claws through the thatched roof. Christina Chin Before we move a little backwards towards bedtime, let me just say thank you to Tony Williams, Linda Ludwig, Jason Furtak and Steve Barr, who very kindly went to the Buy Me A Coffee button on the website and bought the podcast a coffee last month. I truly appreciate it. I wasn't quite able to pay for the podcast subscription or the website, but it definitely helped. Thank you so much. There's a great deal of work to be done on the podcast to bring it to you each time. Reading submissions, replying to them, reading for each workshop, recording time, email invitations, mailing you little snippets of information, editing each podcast. I love doing it, or I wouldn't do it, but there is a limit to what I can do, and I'd like to take on an intern. Obviously, I don't make any money doing this, so I can't afford to do that, and I'm going to need to save some cash for my coffees. It's going to take a while, but if you can contribute even the cost of one coffee, then I can eventually do this and keep the podcast going. So any help is appreciated. Thank you. On to some more poetry. And opening our next section, we have a new member of the community, Hassan Zamori. Cartoons before bed. My nephew jumping asks for popcorn. Hassan Zamori. Bookmobile bumper sticker vow. I break for literacy. Steve Barr. Buried in the bookshop. I linger with the ghosts. Adele Evershed. Shared custody. The cracking spine of Pinocchio. Vandana Parashar. Jolted. The snow-like hiss of the telly. Mike Gallagher. Do nothing. Something I do every day. Jackie Chow. Garden Buddha. A moment of birdsong in an outstretched palm. Lorraine A. Padden. Switching on my haiku mind. Ten thousand things. Claire Ninham. Santa putting a finger aside his nose. He blows. James Crotsman. Tipsy Santa caroling off key. My dog joins in. Natalia Kuznetsova. This next one is another one that you definitely have to have a look at on the show notes. Awaiting my doctor's signature. Monologue. Helen Buckingham. Today this, tomorrow that. Kaleidoscope. Kurt Paulish. Ding dong. Between me and the door, 
all my longing. Christina Pavero. Night sky, the incoming missiles, light new grief. Rob McKinnon. Stopping well into the intersection, she watches, waiting, I go. Michael Feel. Emergency flashes. No means no means no. Ronald K. Craig. Funeral day, her off-white sari, so crisp. Muskan, ahuja. Semicolons, chance to catch your breath before drowning. Veronica Hoskin. Our brother's ashes swirl back into the boat. One last prank. Doris Lynch. Well, I heard it was a car accident. Old college roommates discuss the dust. Joshua St. Clair. And now, let's have another of our judges' choice. This time, from Steve Arlem. Welcome back, Steve. Great to see you. How did you enjoy the punctuation? Oh, I thought it was marvellous. Um, <laughs> like everybody has mentioned, both in the presentation and, and the judging thus far, you, you just don't see very much of it anymore. So it was really interesting to consider formally why to include it. I think we're going to have a, a bit of difficulty, which Alison mentioned in her presentation, and sort of really bringing out the punctuation when we speak our the poems today but i'm hoping everyone will go to the show notes and have a look at them too steve so whose poem did you choose and why i chose a poem by joshua gage will you too sink into tonight's last whiskey full moon will you too sink into tonight's last whiskey full moon by joshua gage the thing that first struck me with this haiku was this wonderful image that was created in my mind. It was a brilliant visualization of this bright disk of the moon floating in the sky as seen through amber liquid and glass. I just thought it was quite an accomplishment to create a visual of the moon that was floating both in the sky and in the whiskey. And now specifically in regards to the theme for the submission, the punctuation elements I thought were very effective here. The commas in the first line, and there are two of them even, they really slow that line down and they function to both accuse and sigh at the same time. You too, form follows function so well here, I thought, to slow the reading, match the pace of the slow descent of the moon behind the liquid in the glass. And it gave this poem such a wonderful contemplation that the moment that it describes really deserves. And the question mark at the end of line two kind of serves as a cutting device to a real aha moment at the end. And that gets us to anticipate that third line, what the you in the first line references. And what will the answer be? We're drawn in by the question to be there and ask ourselves, bringing us closer. I also appreciated that the sound was carried through so well from beginning to end. The you, the two, moon, all long sounds that draw out the moment, such as the moon's progress, which is slow when drawn out. Then another effective choice was leaving the word sink at the end of the first line as it matches the progression of the moon as we read downward through the haiku. 
And then finally, we're left to wonder, what else has sunk previous to this? What were they drinking alone and why? So it was great at creating wonder and freezing that moment. To summarize and emphasize, I just admired the ability to use punctuation to create the slow deliberation in this haiku. And it was a great capture, the punctuation guiding the reader's speed and adding to the tension with the question hanging out there as we watch the moon sinking in this vulnerable moment. Do I gather from that that you could see two people in this poem? Well, I think that's open to interpretation, okay. which, which is great. I, I, I made, immediately I thought of one person, but it yeah. could be there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I wondered at that. I mean, I, I agree. I think it's, I think it's the one person contemplating, possibly a slightly inebriated person. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the punctuation served to highlight that sort of pensive move and the slight inebriation in that one. I just love haiku because you know there are so many stories in the one poem depending yes, on yeah. the readers, you know, it's, it's wonderful. I've, I've been at that bar before and I've, <laughs> I, my, my weapon of choice is uh, Jack and Coke. And okay. um, there are so many different ways I could be sinking the same way the moon does. Right. I, mm -hmm. the way the punctuation said everything to me, put me in the moment. I, I guess the only other thing I'd like to, to point out and I wasn't sure of it because it doesn't have to be this way. The poem didn't call it out. But whiskey is often kind of an amber, clear color. And sometimes full moons can have that amber color too. So uh. the sinking of the moon into whiskey could be a merging as well. You know, it didn't specify it. So I didn't analyze it that way. But I just thought that was another angle, which I admired that mm -hmm. you could read into it. So thanks, Steve. That was great. And thanks to Jason too for his story and a little insight into his favourite tibble. Cheers, Jason. Her dark hair pulled tight. Sunlight on a wild horse. Robert Whitmer. Road trip. The first sunrise caught in thick city smog. Carla Ramesh. Pandemic restrictions. I await the return of tulips. Wilder Morris. Treading old paths. New shoes. Linda L. Ludwig. A stone in my boot. Will it be my last? Tony Williams. Thrift store find. I walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Jacob Blumner. Semicolon. Will you connect my closest thoughts? Eavonka Ettinger. Outer space. Umbrellas in the neighbour's yard. His fish and children. Jack Galmitz. On the edge of the shoreline, I welcome a conversation. CX Turner. Workhouse Road, no walls or bricks, only a name. Kim Russell. Stars in the puddle, will they be the same tomorrow? Samo Kreutz.
sly smile into her torn straw hat. Green Tomatoes Deborah A. Bennett Duck Socially distanced From Loon Richard Bailey Tomorrowry Lake A mirror for mountain peaks Still covered with snow Near a cash up Light snowfall A pointillist painting through the window Carol Judkins A stretch of open water along the lake shore. The eagle's wingspan. Kristen Lindquist. Osprey punctuates its dive. Exclamation. Douglas J. Lanzo. Love or war? The blackbird's song filling the coppice. Polonia Oblak. Robin's song. The train whistle louder than before. Matt Snyder. Sirius, on a cold night waiting for the dog to pee. Tracy Davidson. Time for our next judge's choice. This time we're going to hear from Mark Scott. Now Mark is the lead content creator for a really beautiful blog. The Naturalist Weekly. And Mark, every time I see the word naturalist, I think of naked people because I always get the two words confused in my mind. <laughs> Do go along and have a good mooch about the uh, the blog because it's really very, very useful. It's beautiful and it's got lots of resources on it. And the link will be in the show notes. So Mark, thank you very much for volunteering to be here today. Had you given much thought to punctuation before we decided to do this topic? Um, actually, no. It was uh, <laughs> it was really eye opening. Um, so I originally watched uh, Allison's lesson and listened to the podcast, and, I, and it just like really shifted my way of looking at a haiku and what what the punctuation actually looked like and how it could be how it could impact the reader. That's good to hear. So after all that, all the the learning and the you know the the reading. Which poem did you decide on? Yeah, I landed on uh, John Hawkhead's uh, Monaco, which I really love. So it goes, my life sentence ends in a full stop. My life sentence ends in a full stop. So um, I chose this because it ends with a period. So I think that's important to notice that we can't see that. But so at the end of that, there's a period. And so a period is one of the most common forms of punctuation. Yet in this monocou, it is anything but common. The uh, presence of the period emphasizes the finality of the poem, poem subject matter. And at the same time, the definition of the period has become a part of the poetic experience. One of the functions of a period, which is also known as a full stop, is to end a declarative statement. That's like, unlike a question mark or an exclamation point, I see the period as indicating finality without emotion. So a period to me says, this is just how it is. So, so if this monocou was missing the period, I feel like the reader would be inclined to drift off. The reader might wander into the open space of the page 
or the reader might think, is it really a full stop? Or perhaps this, uh, the writer is just being dramatic. So I was also thinking of John Hockett at an exclamation point, the Monaco would have a level of excitement that wouldn't necessarily fit the subject matter. Uh, likewise, a question mark might indicate a level of existential pondering, and this would drastically change the meaning of the Montague. Um, and then perhaps, probably because the theme for this month was punctuation, I noticed that I kept on wanting to say period when reading the, po when reading the Montague. So I was drawn to the visual presence of the period and wanted to declare its existence. When doing this, the temporary nature of all life seemed to be highlighted, and there is no way around the full stop that appears when we take our final breath. When I was thinking about the subject matter, my life sentence, I immediately went to a person who was incarcerated, but then I sat with this for a minute and realized that the life sentence is not limited to those who may be imprisoned, and actually all human life is a life sentence. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end to all human existence. And our final exhale is the period at the end of our life story. So as a result, uh, this period with its certainty and its finality contributed a layer of impact to these eight words that probably would have been missing without it. Thanks, Mark. I, I know what you mean when you say you want to announce the full stop's presence in the poem doesn't really work so well with British English. I think it needs to see it with British English, but American English, perfect. And I hadn't noticed it until I saw and listened to your analysis. But at the end of this, of this particular piece of work, I always in my head finish with the German word punkt, full stop, because obviously I live in a German speaking world. So I was, subconsciously doing that too. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. Bucket list. I step in to a dream. Robert Kingston. Warm night. Thunder shudders into the next heartbeat. Tyler McIntosh. Bamboo shoot, looking up to my son, Jason Furtag. Extinct volcano, we wait on the summit for an older starlight, Christopher Chubb. The mouse faster than the mind, clickbait, Sarah Paris. Same old pond, the semicolons in Frogspawn, Keith Evitz. Cloud watching, perhaps they are nothing but clouds. Ash Evan Lippert. Fireflies, in the mind cave specks of light. Amrutha Prabhu. First frost, the whoosh of water in heat pipes, Sally Bigger. Snow footprints, my teenage nephew asks me, who is searching for whom? 
Hifsa Ashraf. Snowflakes, snowflakes! Another child sticks out its tongue. Nadia Kostadinova. Early spring. Morning doves coo amid war news. Nina Singh. That seed deep in the loam. Wait for it. P.H. Fisher. Thousands of pigeons. I follow the call of a lone bulbul. Namratha Varadharajan. Double rainbow. Still raining over here. Mark Gilbert. Garden party. New blue in a bed of red. Impatience. Brett Brady. Nevertheless, from the sidewalk crack, a daisy persists. Kim Kloop. The girl whose name I cannot ask. Purple Crocus. Richard Sharma. Handmade lace, the beauty of blackthorn in blossom. Dorothy Burrows. Now Jason's come along to give us his nomination for the judge's choice. Our next judge is Jason Furtuck, who's joining us from Georgia in the US. Now, Jason, I've just finished watching a drama on the telly, Pieces of Her, which I believe is set partly in Georgia. And I was very, very impressed by the beaches you have there. So, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Jason. <laughs> I feel like it's a much overdue visit. Yes, I'm, man, I'm, I'm totally thrilled about being here. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's, um, I, I think it's been a long time coming to get face to face with you. Definitely, definitely. So you're most, most welcome. So tell us, whose poem did you choose and why? Yeah, so I chose um, Richard Tice, and his poem reads, Sushi Shop by the Train Tracks, on my roll, a peach blossom. Sushi Shop by the Train Tracks, on my roll, a peach blossom. This haiku is delightfully timed for the spring season and honors the Asian culture with allusions to sushi and peach blossom. The M dash in this case not only creates a subtle pause in the dialogue, but visually sets off two sets of comparisons in the haiku. First, it's easy to see the sushi shop and the peach blossom by the train tracks. Second is the interplay between the, the trains that roll on tracks and the sushi roll. Without deference to the author's experience being, well, the author, I envision another viewpoint. Since peach blossoms symbolize blossoming young women in Asian culture, one can't but help to think or to actually see um, a young lady sitting at a stool in the shop, peering out the window just before heading out on some incredible self-discovery transcontinental adventure. 
this snapshot highlights the season and occasion with delightful simplicity, no matter the first person perspective. It does. I was, I was very pleased you brought this one to our attention, Jason, because I think it's so difficult to write a blossom poem with any originality. Um, and I think Richard's brought something quite fresh, literally to the table with this one. So I thank you very much thank for you your analysis. Cheers, Jason. Towards Sando. He's using caps again in an email. Mimi Ahern. Untold stories. The shadows of pine trees. Lengthens. Milan Rajkumar. English wine aging nicely. The sweet taste of summer's past. Wendy Ghent. Granddaughter proclaims no more hugs. Summer storm. Eve Castle. Gusts of wind in the playground. Undulating laughter. Paul Callis. Monarch butterfly. Dining on milkweed. Mother's breast milk. Kendall Lott. Punctuating the silence. Woodpecker. Ravi Kiran. In the shade of the garage forecourt. Cut flowers. Robert Horobin. And today we're going to finish by inviting Alison Whipple back to give us her choice. You remember Alison actually did the workshop for us. And um, I've said already, Alison, it went down a storm. I'm still getting people uh, writing emails telling me how much they enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. That's great to hear. I'm glad people have <laughs> loved it. <laughs> it did. And I know we're planning something for next year, but we'll keep that under wraps for, for now. Alison, how did you find the judging experience for punctuation, having done the workshop? It was so hard to choose just one. I mean, I was so impressed with what, what people sent in. I went through about four rounds of, of reading and deciding and reading and deciding. Um, and I even, you know, I saw so many poems that really challenged me and my, my assumptions about what I like or what I think is uh, effective use of punctuation. And I really appreciated um, the work that the editorial team put in to this, to just selecting a huge variety of some some really excellent poems. So after all that, who did you decide on? So I decided on Seth Kronick's haiku. Silence. Water comes to a boil in a silver pot. Silence. Water comes to a boil in a silver pot. And my love of tea drew me to this poem. Through my multiple rounds of reading, I kept coming back to it. Uh, one of my favorite uh, aspects of brewing tea has always been listening for and to the kettle. Tea drinking is usually a solitary act for me, so my apartment is quiet. A quick click as I flick the switch of my electric kettle and then suddenly silence again. I always find myself listening in anticipation for the first sound of bubbles. The sound gradually increases as the temperature pushes higher and higher. 
And right before the water hits a full boil, the sound makes one last shift. I never tire of listening for the gradual changes in pitch and tone, and Seth Chronic's haiku brings that to mind. The haiku has an ellipsis at the end of the first line. We have the single word silence, and then the ellipsis immediately emphasizes the sense of quiet by making us pause and drawing out the moment. The water in the kettle isn't going to boil instantly. The ellipsis conveys that sense of waiting. I also feel that the first three dots of the ellipsis evoke the, evoke the tiny bubbles that first appear on the sides of my kettle. And this haiku lends itself to multiple interpretations. A whistling tea kettle often serves as a motif in film to emphasize narrative tension. I can envision two people at a table sitting in angry silence. They've been having an argument and can't find a middle ground. On the stove, a tea kettle begins to bubble and whistle, signifying the emotional pressure. The ellipsis heightens that tense silence by drawing it out. The people in this scene are perhaps trying desperately to control their tempers. The ellipsis suggests a silence that is uncomfortably long. Perhaps the whistling tea kettle is a welcome relief. And taken a third way, the haiku evokes loneliness. I can conjure up a person in isolation, perhaps due to COVID. They can't go out into the world and nobody can come visit them. Most of their day is spent in silence. The tea kettle is one of the few sources of noise. As in the second interpretation, the ellipsis serves to drag out the sense of daily quiet that this person faces. So whether the haiku evokes the warmth of the tea ritual, a tense moment, or loneliness, the punctuation works well with the image, and I appreciate the way that this single moment can open itself up to multiple views. So I have another story for you, Alison, and it's about the silver in the poem, which I see as symbolizing wealth, suggesting whoever's boiling this water is wealthy. And sometimes um, this is possibly colored by the television program I was watching that I discussed with or mentioned to Jason. The creation of wealth requires such determination and resolution that everything else goes by the wayside. So I can see loneliness too, but the solitary life of someone who has foregone friendship, which is a bit sad. So Richard. Uh, silver, silver is associated with being an antibacterial. For me, what immediately came to mind was COVID. Water coming to a boil was, was one aspect of it. You know, we think of contaminated water and boiling it. Mm -hmm. But then that metal in and of itself is considered to be this bacteria-free, antiseptic kind of metal. So that's, that's what came to mind for me. That's kind of my background. So. It's wonderful how we can all make up these stories. <laughs> So thank you very much, Alison, and thanks to all of you for your wonderful analyses of these terrific poems. Uh, now we're going to go off and maybe we all got a cup of tea or something stronger and decide who's going to be the judge's choice and who are the honourable mentions. Thank you and goodbye for now. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah. Nice to meet everybody. Yeah, nice to see you all. <laughs> now, as Alison said in her original workshop, it's sometimes hard to give you the wonder of the punctuation with his poems, so please do go along and have a look at them on the show notes. There are some terrific ideas for you to have a look at. Have Alison and I convinced you to utilise punctuation more often? Well, we shall see in the coming months, won't we? Thank you for submitting. And if you didn't, 
please consider doing so for a topic in the future. We don't bite. Well, not that often. But if you do submit, please do follow the instructions on the website. It was great to have your company today. I do enjoy my time with you and also reading your feedback afterwards. Let me know what you think. Next time, I'll be joined by Roberta Beery, and we're going to be talking about how you can use your memories in your haiku. It's something I do quite a lot. What about you? I'll see you then. But until then, keep writing. I hope I've got everything in the show notes, but you know the drill. If I've messed up, just email me. Ciao.